A vision without execution is just a dream. Welcome to Transformative Experts with Chris Elias. Like the show title says, Chris speaks with transformative experts and business leaders who share their successes, failures, and leadership tips that will help you transform your business into a success story. Now, here's your host, Chris Elias. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Transformative Experts. I've got a really great and fun and interesting guest today. I've got Eric Desenhall with me. Um, Eric is um, a specialist in crisis management, which gets him in a lot of things. He's he's also a, a well-known author. He's written a number of best-selling books, um, a lot of them on you know the, the organized crime world and other areas, uh, I think an area of hobby and expertise as well. Um, Eric's been highlighted on CNBC and CNN for, for different situations. He's been a, a guest on different programs on the history channel and discovery networks with his expertise and uh, we're going to talk some crisis management today but before we get going eric um you know i'd love if you would share a little bit of your history i mean how did you how do you become an expert at this stuff well uh you become an expert by a series of accidents um i had worked uh, in the Reagan White House for a while, and I saw that the the White House press corps did not like this president, uh, contrary to what you hear now, which is the media loved him. No, a lot of the public loved him. The media did not. And a lot of what the man who ran the operation, a legendary figure named Michael Deaver, who was the first person to whom I can find the word spin doctor attached, And a lot of what he did was found ways in the early 1980s to talk over and around the media. And basically what I've done in my career is find alternative ways for my clients to speak, given that the traditional sources are not available to them. Nobody has any interest in vindicating them or hearing their side. So basically there was a marketplace for a firm that fought back, whereas the traditional PR firms were just schmoozing and and compromising with the media, selling out their clients, basically. Gotcha. Um, So that, of course, led to you building this firm that you have today. Um, but, you know, you've also got a, a, a really kind of cool history. You know, I, I actually want to explore as part of our kind of our first segment here, some of, you know, the, the early life of Eric Desenhall. I mean, and what drove even some of your interests. So it's a little off topic for what we normally talk about, but but some of the stuff you've done on organized crime, um, which has led to some of your, your books that you've written, I believe, and, and other things, um, you know, you, you had a really cool childhood. Well, a very interesting childhood. Let me put it like that. Um, tell us, tell me a little bit more about that. Well, my, my fictional alter ego in most of my books, uh, not the newest one, False Light, is uh, Jonah Eastman, who grew up in a casino that was secretly owned by his grandfather, uh, Mickey Price, an organized crime figure. People, when they've read my books, they say, I had no idea you grew up in a casino. And the answer is I didn't. I made that up. I grew up near a casino. And one of the things that we novelists do is make things up. That said, if you grew up in the Atlantic City, southern New Jersey, Philadelphia area, it was pretty much impossible not to have a neighbor, a family friend, a relative who was tied in some way to the rackets. And I developed a disproportionate interest in that world and had been playing with the idea of writing about it for some time. And after I started doing writing nonfiction books on crisis management, I began writing novels, mostly dealing in some way or another with this character, Jonah Eastman, who is trying to run away from rather colorful roots. Uh, and But he, no matter how far he seems to run, he never seems to be able to get as far away as he had hoped. Yeah, isn't, isn't that the truth? And that, that you know, certainly, you know, you know f- fiction and, and truth, I think, cross over a lot in your, in your writings on those things. I mean, there's a lot of basis for that. Um, so let's, let's dive in and um, let's, let's talk a little bit about the evolution of your crisis management business since, um, since the Reagan era. Um, you know, how, how, did you, how did you form the, the, the firm that you started today? And, you know, I, I want to ask, was there enough work? But obviously there was. And how did you sell yourself on it? Well, I, my 
then boss and I worked for a very large international public affairs firm. And one of the things we saw is that traditional PR techniques were being uh, prescribed for crisis situations. And the basic view, the way I ended up putting it is what the PR industry got wrong is they saw crises as communications problems, not fundamental conflicts. And our view is that they are conflicts. I mean, it's, it's not like one day the Palestinians and Israelis are going to get together after communicating and say, oh, you mean you meant that West Bank all the time? How unfortunate that we misunderstood each other. There's no misunderstanding. There's a conflict. And what, what, what we realize is our clients under fire are facing people who want to hurt them, not people who want to understand them. And we started the firm in 1987. And it was there wasn't initially enough crisis work because while I don't want to say our firm was definitely the first crisis management firm, it was certainly one of them because so few people did it. And what was happening is the PR world was doing their traditional stuff. Oh, well, let's do a media interview. Let's tell our side of the story. Well, what do you do when the media don't want to interview you? They want to crucify you. What do you do when nobody wants to hear your side of the story? And so we had to develop a guerrilla-like approach to how we did this. And initially, the work, some of it was more public affairs than crisis management. But o- over time, it the, the organizations, mostly companies that came to us, were those who were under mortal fire from motivated adversaries and finding that nothing else was working. Are these, you know, these issues that pop up, I mean, how often are you fighting a battle that's based on a well-founded, let's call it accusation versus something that's been made up or, or, or trumped up to, to, to really hurt a, a competitor? Well, it's a very good question. And, you know, one of the reasons why I called this novel that um, I guess we're going to talk about and that we, the two of us talked about a little while ago called False Light is there's a difference between defamation and misrepresentations. Defamation is if I say Chris is a serial killer and I say it seriously. False Light is if I write Uh, an article and I have a bunch of serial killers photos and in that on that page I have a photo of Chris and then I say he is a podcast uh, host or a business consultant and people look at that page they see Chris with a bunch of serial killers and even though it was not my intent a lot of what ends what what I've done in that theoretical situation is what would be loosely called false light. I find that most of my corporate clients and institutional clients, there is a measure of truth to the allegations. If you are working with a petrochemical company, it is not a lie that they pollute. If you are working with a drug company, it is not a lie that the drug has side effects. The problem is when motivated adversaries seek to destroy you. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is, it's not as if a, a pharmaceutical company gets together and says, you know what, Fred, we can make this drug safe, but let's not. And they all give each other high fives. Well, the nature of drugs, as we're all learning in the COVID epidemic, is that some work better than others. And so a lot of times we have to deal with cases where there is some grain of truth. I love it when my clients are attacked by terrorists in, in, the, in the communication sense and liars because I know we're going to win. <laughs> we yeah. have a lot to work with. Yeah, it's the other ones that are going to be a lot more complicated. Yeah, they, they, they are. And I, I think one of the things um, that I play around with in false light is constructing precisely how a smear can be orchestrated, uh, how a smear can be based in a little truth, or it can be completely made up, and how both bad people and good people go down. I mean, one of the things about the term character assassination, which which is a term I use a lot, is it it's a character assassination is a tool. It is neither good nor bad. 
Harvey Weinstein had his character assassinated, but I think most of us agree he should have. Yeah, yeah. Um, whether or not Al Franken, the senator, needed to lose his job is something we could debate. Uh, but they were both, both of these people were executed as if they did the same thing. Well, and so, so talking about that, I mean, you know, I, I think that we've got a lot of situations um, that are, are very present right now. Um, where people are being bundled. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how else to describe it. So you know where you know you've got a couple really awful you know people who've done some things, and that leads to a whole bunch of people being accused. Some of which are really quite innocent. Uh, you know, and so how 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 do you how do you watch how do you guard against that as, as a human? I mean, you know, I, I mean, I find myself in a lot of situations having to be so incredibly extra careful because it seems like everybody's so darn sensitive right now. Whereas we used to be able to have more open conversations. And my fear is is that added sensitivity is actually shutting down what could be healthy discord, healthy conversations, which could move us forward. Now everybody seems to be afraid. Well, it's it's not a theory. It's happening. And I think that, I mean, I know I have cut back on teaching because I have had situations where I'm talking about a tough subject and a student, uh, an MBA student, is so freaked out that they complain. And the nature of what I do when I'm teaching a class, you know, you, Chris, if you're a student, you say, here's here's what I might do to respond to this allegation. And then I throw something back in your face, the consequence. Well, that's an aggressive process. It's not personal, but it's not unlike what you would see in law school. Mm -hmm. How do I teach a crisis management course when a small percentage of the class is on the verge of hysterics? The answer is I stop teaching. Yeah. And debate is being shut down. And you know, the sad thing is, um, we're not talking about, we're talking about a tiny percentage of people who control the debate. I would say that 98% of the students I've dealt with are fantastic. They mm-hmm. love learning all of the stuff that you hear about millennials about not wanting to learn. I, I mean, I think that a lot of them are terrific. But what do you do when you walk into a class and you see that two out of a hundred faces are ready to go to war. I mean, I already know the very act of writing a book uh, like false light that deals with uh, that, that touches upon the me too issue has led people to falsely report uh, that I'm representing in my business, some of the monsters of the me too movement when in fact I turned them down, but that is how this game is played. You think of the worst thing you can say about someone you have made a judgment about, and you have a 100% chance of doing some damage. Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's often as though um, people are guilty till proven innocent. And, and again, look, there are some people that are very, very guilty out there without, without question, and I, I think that, that creates a sensitivity. But I think that the leap that's being made, and, and there's, there's a whole lot of things. I mean, just look at politics today. I, you know, you, you, if, if, if you're kind of a, a middle-of-the-road guy, you know, I, I consider myself very moderate in the, in the middle. I mean, some no. of my views are considered conservative. Some of my views are considered liberal. I tend to vote on the person. I'm not a, you know, follow mm-hmm. a party kind of person. And, you know, one person said to me, he said, well, the, the perfect thing about that is then that everybody hates you. Right. I mean, right. you know, because you, because, oh, you don't take a stand. But then when you take a stand, you get crucified by the other side. And, and, and how, how can you even have a view today when there seems to be this, this mass um, pointing the finger for every reason whatsoever? I mean, it, there, there's almost not a break. Well, that's why the result is Trump. <laughs> uh, I mean, the result is the debate that goes underground. And, you know, what's interesting is most people, I think, are pretty reasonable and relatively moderate um, in their views. But nowadays, if you take a stand that is left of center, center, you are a bedwetting Marxist. If you take a position that is somewhat right of center, you are a fascist racist. Mm-hmm. And the the nature of the frequency is that there can be no discussion. I mean, I have stopped attending certain Zoom telephone calls, with, I mean, Zoom calls with larger groups because somebody can really overreact. 
and, ta- and, and take things out of control. So what it does is it leads you to seek like-minded voices that won't harass you or just keep your opinions to yourself because it's not worth it. Look, I have to make these choices. I mean, one of the reasons I was very content to come on your podcast is you're a reasonable guy. The, um, I've listened to your podcast. The type of people presumably who are drawn to someone like you are the type of people who like to listen for a little bit. Um, I don't want to go on a TV show where I have to scream at someone. I mean, I stopped going on a particular network um, because this network wanted me to scream and shout at the other person. And that's just not what I do. I mean, if I disagreed with you, Chris, I wouldn't say you're an idiot who should be shot. I would say I come at this a little bit differently and we would leave friends. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Well, you know, time flies. We're already up on our, our first break. So I want to keep exploring this with you because, you know, maybe we could find some way to, 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 to move the, our population towards more conversation and less uh, finger pointing. So let's take a couple minutes. We'll be back in uh, just a few. Stay tuned. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. True results happen where culture meets execution. The Execution Culture, co-written by our host, Chris Elias, is designed to make your company smarter, faster, and stronger by sharing real-world advice on culture, leadership, and execution. It's time to transform your business with the help of The Execution Culture. The book is available now on Amazon. Click the link on the show page. Is your company or team struggling to achieve the results you would like? Optimize your life, your team, and your organization through clarity, purpose, and action. At Mexicute, we have over 100 years of combined experience leading organizations and coaching individuals to achieve their vision. We design a customized approach to ensure successful execution and optimize your results. Connect better. Grow better. For a free consultation with Chris Elias, visit nexecutegroup.com. That's N-E-X-E-C-U-T-E group.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. This is Transformative Experts with Chris Elias. If you have a question or a comment about the show, please send an email to listener at transformativeexperts.com. Now, back to Transformative Experts. And we're back with Eric Desenhall. Uh, Eric, before the break, we were we were really just talking about, you know, really the masses and, and how it's getting harder and harder, I think, sometimes to be, um, you know, to, 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 to be neutral, to have a voice. I was thinking one of the situations I, I thought of, a friend of mine was telling me this story the other day about being in a team call. And there is a, a, there is a person on the team that has a very, very... Um, let's call it a very, very narrow view of, of a topic. I, I, for confidentiality, I can't get into the specifics, but has become almost so abusive about the topic that the team now has shut down. So anytime this person is on the call, it's the, the, the leader of the team, it's like trying to pull information out of people and people will give short little answers because they know that they're going to be ridiculed. They're going to be, they're going to be pushed. Um, there was a, uh, there was an article um, that I, I saw about number of people who've left the New York Times lately because they didn't feel like they could um, they could um, you know put their opinions out that that they were ridiculed by other people in the workplace and and it's almost becoming hostile to a certain degree. As a matter of fact, you were published earlier today um, in the yep. New York Times talking about some of this stuff as well. Um, you know the, the daily the daily news the New daily, York daily news. news. Thank you, thank you. Got got the uh, wrong paper there. Um, so how do we? Um, you know, how do we get around that? How do we how do we stop this um, this this whole attitude of taking and assuming the worst out of every situation? How do we start making a change? And I think that this leads us into a little bit about you know false light and and addressing the issue. But but take us take us there because love to know your opinion how we move this in the right direction. 
Well, I think what it ultimately will come down to is risk, is behavior changes when there is risk. I mean, one of the things that is good about civil rights and the Me Too movement is there is now risk to people who discriminate. There is risk to men who prey on women. I think that's a good thing. The problem becomes what happens when, if you disagree with someone on how a civil rights issue is happening, that makes you a racist. Um, what happens if you say, well, that particular person should not have been me too'd? Well, that means that you support assault. Um, and so I think the only answer is there has to be risk to those who do bad things. I don't see, the only sign I see of it happening is there is some revisitation now of whether all of these cancels, cancellations uh, are good things. But broadly speaking, you know, a lot of what I do in my business is introduce risk. Um, you know, for example, if somebody says uh, this COVID vaccine isn't safe, we have to begin to argue that having an imperfect COVID vaccine is better than having none at all. And for you, person who is trying to shut down COVID vaccines, you need to be held accountable for that view. So that's what I mean. Uh, that's what I mean by risk. And I do think you're starting to see a revisitation. The problem that we have is there is too much in it for too many people. The very same people who claim to hate cancel culture are clicking on these stories left and right. And at some point, what's the same thing is going to happen as what has happened in, in the defamation area. Um, you know, traditionally, uh, most people are under the misimpression that defamation means if the media gets something wrong, you can sue them. There is no law in this country, nor has there ever been, that says the media need to be fair and that the media need to be accurate. The media are legally allowed to be unfair and inaccurate. What they are not allowed to do is engage in a conspiracy to knowingly use false information for the purpose of injuring a target. For many years during my career, and I'm 58, the idea of suing a media outlet was considered insane. But now the stakes are so high that it's driving more and more people to do that. And, and it should. And so defamation lawyers, I know, are really picking up work uh, because the stakes are too high. The other thing is you have a whole new generation of reporters and you see this. And I wrote this in False Light, who believe the objective of journalism is to destroy somebody by four o'clock, go on TV, get a book deal, and become a talking head. That's what they think journalism is. It is, it is about who will play me in the movie. Yeah, it's kind of, it, it, it's been a, it's been a sad movement. It's, it's hard to find the, let's call them the Walter Cronkites of the world anymore. The people that would go out there and, and, you know, report as best as they can, you know, the, the old adage that the journal, that journalism, um, that the, the writers of this world have this, um, almost responsibility to, to, to share, you know, what's going on in a truthful way. And a lot of that seems to be gone. I mean, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to weed through all the information to determine what's right and what's not. And I think people just tend to go along with the news service that they like. I have friends who watch Fox and they believe that's a hundred percent right. And I've got friends who watch CNN and they believe that's a hundred percent right. And I'm sure Fox and CNN believe that they're right from that, but it's two totally different views of the same thing. So what's, what's right, what's wrong, what's truth, what's not. Um, it, it, I think it gets very hard to muddle through this stuff. Oh, I think it is too. And what makes it harder is we are attracted like crows to shiny things on the ground. Mm -hmm. um, we want to see rather than a new book by Eric, we want to see the seventh book by Kim Kardashian mm -hmm. rather than a story uh, about what is happening to the American electorate. We want to hear about the plastic surgery of some third level celebrity. And so, you know, the marketplace is very much driving this. 
And, and so why is that? Is, is it that people are looking for an escape from the reality? Do they want to stick their heads in the ground? Is, is it just that they're so sick of being inundated with negative news? I mean, I have to tell you, there have been times in the last several months, I just get so tired of seeing the same articles on COVID or politics over and over again that, that I take a week off and I don't look at anything. And I, I look a week later and saw the same stories. I'm not missing much, it doesn't seem. But but. What is causing this major shift away from trying to understand? I mean, when I was younger um, and, you know, uh, friends of mine, we used to have talks about politics and what's going on and be able to do it now. It's like like it's taboo. We don't want to talk about this stuff. Well, you, nobody, you don't want to wade into a conversation where you're end, going to end up making an enemy or losing your job. And that's, that's kind of where, where we are. But I think that there's just too much information. I mean, I think about, oh, I'm, I'm sitting here in my home study. Um, there's all of these books all over the place that I'm not going to have time to read, but I am going to have time to get on my iPhone and, uh, and, and click on something that looks interesting. And I think that that's, and I'm not going to get into partisan politics here, but I think that's very much what Trump was good at. He knew what people wanted to see and hear. And I, I remember running into uh, one of Hillary's advisors uh, shortly before the 2016 election. I'm based in Washington. And he said, what do you think is going to happen next week, meaning the election? And I said, I think you're going to lose. He said, seriously? And yeah. And um, why do you think that? And I said, everything that you think is a negative about Trump is actually a positive. Insult, insulting the disabled, insulting war veterans, uh, the whole business about grabbing women. Um, all of these negatives are positives because, number one, it gets attention. And number two, it tells a huge percentage of the population this guy says what he means. Um, and I don't think you can compete with that. Um, and so, you know, a lot of what I do in, in, in false light is I deal with a bad guy by rather than the, the revenge for a sexual assault coming in the form of beating the guy up, he is seduced because of his love of publicity uh, into being doing more things that will make him famous because those things will ultimately bring him down. And so I, you know, I find more and more, uh, I mean, do you remember this lawyer, Michael Avenatti, oh, yeah. who uh, was Stormy Daniels lawyer? I mean, this is a guy who couldn't stay away from the camera. Meanwhile, he was apparently committing all kinds of crimes. Well, I have news for you. If you're involved with all kinds of fraud, stay off TV, but people can't help it. But a lot of what I tried to do in this book is to show the way people can be destroyed and are destroying themselves is by this constant desperation for more and more attention, which only a few people can get away with. Yeah, that's a, it, it's really, really an interesting view. So what's, what's the solution? How do, you, how do you solve for that? How do you solve for it in the book? Well, in the book, what we have is a sexual assault that goes unpunished. And it is ultimately decided that it would be too bad for the reputation of the young woman to go to the police because her reputation would be destroyed. She would be the one having people from seventh grade come forward and saying, oh, she was always a liar. So the best thing, <clears throat> excuse me, to do is ruin this guy. And he's ruined by his own love of media. So I think one thing is you are going to see more and more people destroy themselves because they can't stay away from the camera. I mean, this is what's happening to Rudy Giuliani right now. I mean, he ruined his reputation because he, he cannot stay away from, from television. Um, but um, I think the other possibility is long, long term is people may, might get exhausted from this, but I just don't see a sign of it right now. Yeah, I, I think it's too easy to spotlight and and, and um, crucify, but especially if somebody's willing to get there. So, so you know, not that I typically want to go down politics, but what will happen next with Trump? So he's out. The impeachment, uh, you know, he was acquitted or whatever, and it's not going forward. And you know, I'm not going to argue whether that's right or wrong. Um, you know, but he's not going to be able to stay out of the limelight. No, he well, he's not capable of it, and. 
and you know he's faced with another problem which is making money um and the way to for him to make money is to make noise and i think that i mean i think that this guy is going to be in our lives uh for years he has a complete stranglehold on the party and i do think that there will be legal consequences to some of the things he's done but none of that keeps him away from the camera and look you've got tens and tens of millions of people who will do whatever he says so he is in our lives for many many years the other thing that's interesting is you know he has the unique ability to get people to do things that are not in their self interest and that's a great ability to have uh because you know you had people storming capitol hill i mean trump is fine they are not fine um but uh it's great to 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 live a life where you are immune from consequences i haven't but he has and that's an interesting place to be so is he immune from consequences forever and you know so yes there's all kinds of stories about all the lawsuits or a number of lawsuits pending where are they (laughs) well it's a good question Right. They're, so so um, they're not showing up, will they? Did, does this all disappear? Does does he want the lawsuits so he stays in the limelight and he keeps his name visible out there? Again, I know this is conjecture, but I'm really curious about your thinking. Well, I don't think he wants the lawsuits because they cost him money, and I don't think he wants to be criminally prosecuted. Um, but I do think he has been insulated throughout his life for a few reasons. Uh, Number one gets back to the great Gatsby. There was a line toward the end of Gatsby where uh, the narrator says, Tom and Daisy uh, were careless people and they retreat back into their wealth and carelessness or whatever people uh, like this have to stay together. So wealth does inoculate you um, from consequences. I mean, I grew up not far from Atlantic City and Uh, We all, you know, I saw, we knew the people who were stiffed on their invoices Mm -hmm. and these were not big companies. They were, they were small players. And, you know, when your father can come in and bail you out, that's a nice place to be. And so that's one thing that's made him immune. The other thing I think is shamelessness. Um, Whereas most of us, I mean, I know when I have had a hostile encounter, I don't want to be in situations where um, I have to navigate hostility because it's not in my self-interest to do so. My business doesn't benefit by getting on television and shrieking at someone. He has benefited from that. That's been good for him. But he also has been lucky his whole life. Everything that could go against him has gone his way. I mean, how many people who had COVID happen on their watch would get 75 million votes? Um, But it's an extraordinary thing. And by the way, if you're asking, do I believe in luck? Absolutely. I mean, one of the things I see in my business is luck does matter and some people have it and some people don't. And by the way, I mean, one of the things I deal with in false light is the premise begins of what do you do? What happens when a guy who's gotten away with everything his whole life finds himself on the receiving end of somebody just like him? It, it, it's it's got it's going to be an interesting story. Is is it released yet? I know it was close to release yeah, so, last time. Well, yes. I mean, the, the official date is February twenty third, but it's on Amazon. It's just starting to be orderable. Yeah, I, I think it's me, and I'm certainly not going to ask you for how it ends. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll let people have to to get it and read it. I, it sounds thank like you a, for that. <laughs> it sounds like an interesting premise. We're at our next break, so um, we're going to take a couple minutes here, folks. Stay tuned. We will be back for, uh, for one one last segment with Eric Desenhall. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash Voice America. True results happen where culture meets execution. The Execution Culture, co-written by our host, Chris Elias, is designed to make your company smarter, faster, and stronger by sharing real-world advice on culture, leadership, and execution. It's time to transform your business with the help of The Execution Culture. The book is available now on Amazon. Click the link on the show page. Is your company or team struggling to achieve the results you would like? Optimize your life, your team, and your organization through clarity, purpose, and action. 
At Mexicute, we have over 100 years of combined experience leading organizations and coaching individuals to achieve their vision. We design a customized approach to ensure successful execution and optimize your results. Connect better. Grow better. For a free consultation with Chris Elias, visit nexecutegroup.com. That's N-E-X-E-C-U-T-E group.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. This is Transformative Experts with Chris Elias. If you have a question or a comment about the show, please send an email to listener at transformativeexperts.com. Now, back to Transformative Experts. So we're back one last time with Eric Desenhall. So Eric, interesting, over the break, you know, one of the things we were talking about is, I I think for conversation um, to occur, there's two sides of it. There's what's being communicated and, and what's being received. And there's an implication on the received side that people are actually listening. And I, I think a lot of, I, I find that a lot of, let's call it, um, you, you know, fights, disagreements, arguments occur when the other side hasn't listened, you know, all the way. Right. Um, right. And it can, particular, it can happen a lot with, with, with writing. So, so you were sharing a story about, you know, how you could, you could tweet something out. Just re- restate that for our audience. Yeah, I mean, I what I was telling you is I got off Twitter because I would write an article, tweet it, and the reaction to the same article would be, you left-wing lunatic, you right-wing fascist. Well, how do you get left-wing and right-wing from the same article? The answer is nobody reads it. What they read is they see one line, they make a decision about do they like you, are you, the, are you friend or foe, and then they react. And so what it's really all about is give me what I need to be able to lash out. Um, it is not really about processing. Uh, it is not really about processing an argument. I mean, one of the hard things, uh, I mean, I, I wrote this story this morning on New York uh, Daily News about uh, cancel culture. And you know, some people will, well, you're, you're against people being held accountable. Well, did you read the story? Where where does it say that? But you know th- this this is where we are. I mean, if you were to listen to a JFK or even a Nixon news conference, you have complete paragraphs. Now you have sound bites. Yeah, you know, and and there's there's actually there's a real psychology on what what goes on here. You know, one of the things that most people don't realize we're all wired to a negative bias. We're born that way. It was part of our fight or flight mechanisms, how we produced ourselves, and so you know. If there's a right way and a wrong way to take something that's written, we're going to take it the wrong way. And the wrong way well, is yeah. really defined as different than how we feel about it. That, that's kind of, there's almost this natural state. And the more triggered we are, the more that happens. It takes a really high level of consciousness to step back and say, what is he or she really trying to say here? What's, you know, and what, what is really happening as opposed to jumping to a conclusion. And I think, and that that conclusion really is based on our filter system. Well, I think the fundamental belief is I'm reasonable. You're not, Um, you know, this is my, these are my views, which are well-reasoned. You're kind of crazy. And one of the terms, one of the things I've been saying for a few years now, and it's in this today's article I wrote, is the velocity, volume, and venom is what moves the internet. It is speed. um, uh, It is the amount of something. And, the, and then the degree of, of the negativity. And that's why it's so hard to destroy a reputation because a lot of what I did in False Light is, and this won't ruin the book for you, is you get the bad guy by getting enough bad information out there before anybody has an interest in correcting it. Yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting. And so what, what triggered this book? I mean, you, you know, you've written a, you've written a bunch of books and, and um you know, what was the what was the basis? What got you in, in, into even thinking about false light and going in this direction? Well, I, I was wrestling with a very simple question. 
what happens if somebody who's gotten away with everything his whole life finds himself on the receiving end of somebody just like him? That was the premise. I've become very interested in how the unequal distribution of good and bad luck in the world. The problem I had with this premise of is I didn't know how I was going to get my golden boy to have his comeuppance. And I didn't know what the bad guy would have to do and how to punish him. And I got distracted by writing a nonfiction book called Best of Enemies with a co-author, Gus Russo. And it's the true story of a CIA officer and a KGB agent who were assigned to turn each other into traitors at the height of the Cold War. And they ended up becoming best friends and took down the worst spy in American history, Robert Hansen. I was immersed in that book. I was running around, you know, I had CIA people dropping off packages at my house and at strange hours. I was running around in the woods and the mountains with KGB people, uh, meeting with the occasional organized crime figure who factored into the story. Well, when uh, I was done that book with my co-author, an interesting thing had happened. Harvey Weinstein, the Me Too movement, Black Lives Matter, the emergence of Trump, fake news, Russia's media manipulation, uh, deep fake technology. And when I came up for air and I found all that stuff, I knew I was going to have the comeuppance of my golden boy with the one thing that my alter ego in the book could sympathize with, which is his worry about a child. Because there is no worry like the worry about a child. Uh, and that became, you know, because of what happened with me too, the mechanism for humbling the golden boy, but the, the bad guy, golden boy, um, I decided to take advantage of his being a predator, but being a charming predator. I mean, the problem with, uh, you know, the, the key to being a, you know, the biblical wolf in sheep's clothing is that you're not a wolf in wolf's clothing. You're appealing, you're charming. And this is why these people are very, very hard to get. And so I had to get him using a different technique. The other thing, while all of this is happening, my alter ego in the book is uh, an aging reporter who has a younger generation of people trying to cancel him while all this other canceling is going. <laughs> Yeah, so that's, that's the premise. That's excellent. That's excellent. And so, you know, if we if we shift into the, the the mainstream business, so so one of the things that comes to my mind before we wrap up, and I wanted to make sure we talked about this a little bit, is you know how do you help somebody? So as as a crisis management, I don't know if consultant is the right word. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So as you know, okay. First of all, let's talk about the types of clients that you handle because there are clients that you say no to, and mm-hmm. um, and. You know, and, and I think it's, it, it could be helpful to our listeners because it helps people understand the kinds of people that are, are out there. And so let's start there. And then I'd love to know a little bit about the ones that you do work with. What are the things that you do to help? And, and maybe what are some things that we need to let some of the listeners know? How do you keep yourself from or, or maybe minimize your opportunity for ending up in a bad situation like this? Well, there's a few questions that you raised. I mean, first of all, who are the, what type of clients do I have? Best client is a large corporation or institution where we are reporting to somebody with decision-making authority. Um, Worst clients, celebrities, and billionaires. Worst. Um, Also criminal defendants. The thing about a large organization is they have the diversification and the resources and the time to recover. If an individual does not. They also, with a large institution, you are generally able to have a grown-up conversation. I mean, I have had to say hundreds of times throughout my career, what you just said is a wish, not a strategy. (laughs) And I simply can't deliver fantasies. Uh, I had the head of an oil company once say to me, why can't you do for me what you did with this one cosmetics company I know you worked with? And I said, you're an oil company. Nobody likes you. They never will. Let's start with that baseline. With cosmetics, you have women who are very loyal to their product line. They like this product. I may need your oil, 
I don't like that I need it and I don't like it. So we have to start with that baseline. And so a lot of times what we have to do is light the road. We have to tell somebody what reality looks like. Then what do we do? We tell people this is where you have to, how you have to change behavior to make this problem go away. I mean, if you are a church and you have a history of molestation, you have to put programs in place to stop the abuse. Then there's the question of how you communicate it. But I think one of the biggest problems we have, and one of the reasons why I don't like working with individuals so much, and celebrities especially, is generally speaking, an organization wants to solve its problem. I mean, if you're Boeing and you're having the problems that they've had with the 737 MAX, they don't want to be in this situation. They really want to solve it. And by the way, I don't represent them or I couldn't talk about them. I'm just picking that up. Sure. What I find about individuals is they tend to want to keep engaging in the bad behavior, but they want to get people to feel good about them despite that. And that's why I don't like those clients. The other thing is celebrities and billionaires don't pay. I, I hear that. I hear that. And so, um, so a client comes to you. Is there a set of tactics um, that, that you would typically employ? I mean, how do you, how do you get started, and and how do you move the ball for them? So you already said, you know, first is getting them to recognize kind of their current state. That's that's maybe step one, and then what? Uh, well, we we have to make a look at take a look at what is the best achievable outcome. Um, you know, it's interesting when I started this business, nobody knew what I did. Uh, now you can't turn on the television or go to a movie where there's not a crisis manager. And it's always the same person. It's always the very slick character with a headset barking orders and commanding the world. We don't command anything. So we have to make decisions. Do we recall a product? Do we label the product? Uh, do we mobilize people to explain what the product does and, and what it doesn't do? So, but the first, the, the first order of business is defining what is the best achievable outcome. Again, if you're Boeing, the best achievable outcome is no accidents. The only way you get your reputation back is to have planes in the air that stay in the air when they're supposed to. There is no spin. <laughs> if planes are going down, there is nothing I can do for you until they are made safe. And um, so I, the other thing I think we often have to do is figure out how to time a problem. Um, you know, you can't rebuild a house in a hurricane. And a lot of times when you are in the middle of a mess, you can't all of a sudden do a big ad campaign to get people to love you when at the moment they really hate you. Uh, time tends to be able to solve a lot of problems. Yeah, there's a there's a definite truth there. Uh, maybe one more one more question before sure. we towards, move towards wrapping. But um, what advice, I mean, you know, how, how do you, what kind of things should people be thinking about in order to kind of um, prevent this kind of a thing from happening, prevent getting in the crisis. And I know, I know it's not a hundred percent. You can never prevent, prevent and protect against everything, but are there practices, you know, especially the small entrepreneur, the small businesses, you know, a lot of which are listening, even some of the bigger companies, are there regular practices that should be employed in, in order to, to, to stay protected? And even if a crisis occurs to, to mitigate it as much as possible. Yeah, I mean, at the beginning of my career, we would write 300-page crisis plans. Uh, in retrospect, those are idiotic. Um, they're useless. Uh, they go right out the window. Rather than thinking of all 7,400 things that could happen to you, pick the three that are most likely and plan for those. Uh, that is really the most, uh, the most prudent type of advice. And I think that if given the choice between a good plan and a good leader, the most important thing is having a leader that is in the position of power to act. The worst thing that can happen in my business is we're hired by a big company and the only people we get to talk to are communications people because communications people do not have the power to act in a large institution. It is the CEO, general counsel, whoever has profit and loss responsibility. And so I get very, very ornery about making sure I am dealing with a shot caller as opposed to somebody who just wants me to write another plan. Because if that's all we've got, we're going down. 
Yeah, and, and, and part of it too, I think, is approach, right? I mean, I, I think that, that, that often, and maybe not everyone, but people are willing to forgive somebody who is at least honest and humble and open about things. And, you know, when a crisis occurs, I mean, I've seen it, you know, here and there a couple of times with some clients. And even in my past career, there have been, there have been times where things have been averted because leadership of, of the organization have been willing to say, you know what? Yeah, we, we kind of messed up here. Or, um, or you know what? We didn't know this problem existed. Now we do. We're going to get on it and we're going to show you how we're getting on it because here's what we're doing. And I, I think that there's a power in that as, as well. So, so all too often people want to try to find a way to quote unquote bury it or put it aside and you can't hide anything anymore. Well, no, there was once a time you could, by the way. I mean, cover-ups, there was a, once was a time that cover-ups worked. But generally speaking, um, what people want to know in a crisis is, are we going to be okay and what are you doing about it? And that that's what they want to know. You are forgiven for not solving it. You're not forgiven for not seeming to try. And the problem comes in is when you hear these ridiculous, overly simplistic cliches, like get ahead of the story. I have no idea what that means. Uh, you know, if you watch any, I defy you to find a movie or TV show with a spin doctor character where one of the people doesn't say, we need to get ahead of this. I, I, that has no meaning. Uh, the other thing is, if you apologize, the problem goes away. Uh, no, I don't see a lot of evidence in that. I see evidence that you have to solve the problem. Well, Eric, yeah, our time with you has been excellent. Um, you know, I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing you know some of the comments that come through and see if people really, really listen and saw that you you know you take <laughs> a lot so. of different points of views. We're going to find out. Um, you know, it, it's it's so interesting. This is you know it's a departure from some of our norm, normal topics where we're you know where we're talking about you know a lot of different stories about people's success. This is about about just a little bit about what's going on in the world and and how to navigate and protect ourselves. So I, I think it's been a great conversation and. Hopefully our listeners got a lot out of it. And I really appreciate your coming on the show with me today. Oh, thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, I enjoyed it too. So everyone, uh, thank you for listening. Uh, we'll be back next week with another great host. Until then, uh, have a great week. Thanks. Thank you for joining Chris Elias for this week's edition of Transformative Experts. We hope you'll tune in again next Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And catch our weekly replay on the Voice America Influencers Channel, Sundays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Have a good week.